So what's good, fellas? And uh, and our and our esteemed guest, who we will introduce in a second, but you know, we just doing some pre-show talking right now. And so, uh, the craze now, right? Uh, quiet quitting, fellas. Have you heard about it? I'm aware. I, I'll let Bar jump in first. You know, I, I I'm aware of the fact that you know folks are working to the their their time limit, and that's it. Uh, that's my understanding of the whole quiet quitting thing, not going above and beyond, just doing what you need to do during your uh, your scheduled time. Is that is that it? Is that accurate? I mean, I, 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 I'm guessing, yeah. Okay. Uh, Smitty, what's your take? My, my take on quiet quitting is those folks that are um, just walking away from the job with no, um, no two-week notice. It's just like, I'm out. Like, Check you later. Make sure you got my check on time. I'm gonna drop my uniform off when I pick up my last check. <laughs> yeah, so I, I don't know if that's quite it. <laughs> so my understanding of quiet quitting is when folks do um, what's in their contract, right? So like, so uh, I think the the because you know they whenever Gen X gets uh, a Gen Z gets something, it the terminology changes, right? And so before it was a uh, work to contract, right? So basically. It is you do whatever is in your contract, nothing above or beyond in terms of that. And so I think that that's problematic in terms of uh, how we work in education, because, you know, if you got folks that are historically marginalized and you're just working to the contract when you know that those kids need extra, those kids need more. Um, I, I just I, I, I wonder about that. But, hey, we're going to discuss that and we're going to discuss a lot more. Oh, that's the wrong intro. <laughs> there we go. So now that we're all here and we're talking about quiet quitting, can we agree that historically marginalized folks need more? Absolutely. Uh, for sure. There's no way we're going to be able to fill in the gaps that our kids need if you're just doing what's written in the contract. But it's my understanding, you know, there's that little line at the end of most of the contracts that I've seen for people in my building that says, and other duties as a sign. Yes, right? So that to me, that means you're going to have to go above and beyond to get where we're trying to go. Like giving the bare minimum is not gonna get us to a higher level of achievement. Yeah, understood. And Bob, what about you? Is that in your contract too? <laughs> yes, exactly. But I think you know, if you want to be great at what you do, you're gonna do more than the minimum. I don't know how you can feel good about yourself and what you're trying to accomplish and the young people that you're trying to support if you don't go above and beyond. Like you can't be a good teacher, you can't be a great teacher without working beyond the whatever 730 to uh, 315, whatever the contract says. You, you got to do much more to plan and differentiate and all yeah. the things. Yeah, but so so I guess the pushback that I'm having for you guys, right? Because I'm looking at it from like both angles, right? And so if we're thinking about teachers that are trying to prevent burnout, right? If, can you do everything in the contracted hours, right? So think about, an amazing teacher that really utilizes their planning period is not out like doing gossiping in the teacher's lounge, doing all this other stuff, and whatnot, getting the grading and done or doing whatever, and doing everything that they need to do within the confines of, of, of the time allotted. I've seen it happen. Like, I feel like you have to be masterful, and there's things that you need to do in order to put yourself in a position to be in that place and space to be able to leave on time and get everything done. I've seen it done. I was actually one of those teachers. What's your thoughts on, 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 on those teachers? I guess I'd say, you know, if you're utilizing the time that you have, um, basically you can make it happen. I mean, and we had this conversation um, a lot during, you know, the pandemic when we were doing virtual and all that stuff like that. Like, are you utilizing the minutes that you have in the correct way? Mm -hmm. um, I still don't feel like if you want to be that upper echelon type of educator, mm -hmm. like 
just the 810 to 310 is not going to get it done. And I'm, I'm not saying every day you need to be going home doing things, but there's going to be a couple of days a week or maybe, you know, some time on the weekend. You're going to have to dig in, come up with new activities, do some extra grading, giving kids constructive feedback or value added feedback. Like there's, I just don't feel like there's a way for you to do it and just Monday through Friday from 810 to 310 if you're trying to be that upper echelon, you know, educator. Now, I also believe that there is, you know, balance to that. Like I don't want yeah. teachers burning out. I don't want teachers going home doing 10 hours of work once they leave the school. Yeah. But there is going to be some time you're going to have to put in some work in the off season to make it happen. Yeah. Hey, listen, I always say, man, when I'm coaching people, it's like, yo, that's when you win championships. You win championships during the summer, right? Like during those summer PDs and whatnot, that's when I started to become the teacher that I wanted to be, right? So like you have to make that determination in terms of like who is who's the teacher that you want to be. And during the summer months is when that happens. Like that's when I had to do some internal reflection in terms of like, all right, what are my blind spots? What do I need to get better at? And what kind of professional development can I provide for myself? Because going into a school and expecting a school to like fill you up with, with, with all the professional development that you may need in order to be a good teacher, I don't think that that's advantageous uh, on you if you want to be a good teacher. But hey, Doc, introduce our, introduce our guest, man. Hey, so we, we are blessed and y'all are blessed to have um, the awesome Dr. Jaquita Lowry. Uh, Dr. Lowry has been in education for 23 years. And her area of expertise is in special education. She started in the field as a paraprofessional and has worked her way through the ranks. Um, she has dedicated her entire educational journey to her passion of serving students with disabilities and their families. She currently serves as the executive director of the Wyandotte Comprehensive Special, edu special Education Cooperative in her hometown of KCK, representing the DOT today. She represents the DOT. Uh, oversees special education services for three districts, Piper School District, Bonner Springs, Edwardsville School District and the Kansas City, Kansas USD 500 School District. Dr. Lowry has also served as the district administrator of special education for five years in the Kansas City Public School District on the other side of the river in Missouri, where she developed and implemented programs focused on improving teaching and learning for students with disabilities. She also dedicated her time and resources to parent em empowerment and advocacy for meeting students' individual needs. She earned her doctorate degree from the edu of edu ed educational specialist degree in educational leadership as part of the best cohort to come through St. Louis University. Right. <laughs> her master's degree in school leadership from Baker University, a master's degree in special education from the University of Missouri, Kansas City, and a bachelor's degree in psychology from Park University. So uh, everybody in the audience, what y'all, you know, put some love in the uh, comments for Dr. Jaquita Lowry. How you doing, Dr. Lowry? Hello, hello. I'm doing well. How y'all doing this evening? We are doing well. Blessed to have you in the space. So let's jump right in, putting this right on you. So when you hear the word special education, like what, is, what does that mean to you and what should that mean for, for families? Wow. Special education uh, means a lot. Um, I, I, I experience special education from a personal perspective, but in the work that I've done. And so when I think of special education, um, it's about something really special for students. It's very personalized um, and it's all about education and it's a design. It's a design that can be redesigned over and over and over, whatever it needs to take to be able to meet that student's needs. So they are able to be um, more successful, to have um, progression in the areas of their needs and ultimately to be able to be um, contributing young people in our community and in society overall. Um, it, it, it's, a, it's a wide gamut of um, things that you can provide in special education from related services. So we have students that may need speech support, OT, uh, physical therapy, as well as our exceptional learners who are gifted. In some states, gifted falls under special education. In the state of Kansas, it does. In the state of Missouri, it doesn't. It's across the river. But special education is there to level the playing field for our students. Mm. We, we provide them the accommodations and the modifications that they need so they have access to whatever all other students have so then they can get the services that they deserve and be able to demonstrate their learning and ultimately have academic achievement. Um, special education is, is all of that. But it's one thing it is, it's a living document. And it should always change as our kids change. It should always change as our as, the, as they grow, and it's also change as our parents become more empowered and they know what to ask for for their kids. Yeah, I love that intro, right? And so, so folks, if you're, in, if you're in the audience right now, 
if you're in the audience right now and you got questions about special education, please drop them in the chat. Uh, let us know where you where you dialed in from in the chat. We want to make sure that we're engaging with folks that are in the chat. Smitty, jump in here, man. You look like you're about to say something. Yeah, so, Dr. I, I, let me give you a little background on why I, I, I um, talked to the fellas about us really having this conversation about special education. So a few okay. weeks ago, I was um, in a town hall meeting type of setting where we had somebody that will not be named on the show right now talking about special education um, and how uh, we, we all know, you know, students of color are more disproportionately involved in special education, but they were trying to come from the angle of the reason why students of color are being identified for special education more is because schools, districts and schools are just trying to get a check. And basically, they're trying to find every reason possible to identify a student in special education to get that extra money from the federal government. Um, can you speak a little bit to that, like the, like the importance of having your kid properly identified? Um, this is kind of a two part of the importance of properly having your kid identified. And then what is that process that we have a, a parent or a student will go through in the identification process? Yeah, it, it's very important. Um it's important because just like you said, we often, our black and brown students have been over-identified for specific categories in which you can qualify for special education. Um, when in many cases, um, it's not that they um, have a disability, there's just people have not quite tapped in into how they express their abilities. So it sometimes can cause some confusions. But when it comes to going through the special education process, it is involved and it should absolutely be around the data that's collected in the school setting. It comes from the parents input. It comes from what parents are seeing outside in the community. But importantly, we have to look at the education impact that the student um, may be going through, whatever the disability or the the these situations that have caused delays of these situations like that, they have to look at that piece. And so when you are in the school system, data has to be collected, not just in one area, but we have to look how kids perform, how they behave, how they respond um, in the classrooms, when they're in the hallway, when they're at recess or when they're in the lunchrooms with their peers, how they're inter interacting with um, some of their social skills, we have to look at all of those different settings to really determine, is this a student that has a disability? And if it is, because the data is there and it is consistent, what category would it possibly qualify under? So do we suspect a disability? And are we saying that this is such, um, this disability is so um, significant that it requires specially designed instruction? It requires that personalized education design. If it doesn't really meet those two prongs, at least in the state of Kansas, then a child would not qualify for special education services. So then we have to look at, well, what is it that that child needs so they will be able to access the general education curriculum, so they're able to demonstrate their learning, and we have to look at how we're teaching our students. And so that it's a very long process. And of course, there's timelines and there's federal regula regu regulations around how long it takes to qualify a student. But ultimately, nothing can happen unless a parent provides consent to either start that process or to start the services once that process has started and a student has been found eligible. Um, you are absolutely right. We continue to have to work with schools and school buildings to make sure that we're properly identifying students and we're not misdiagnosing um, students. Um, every student shows up different. Everyone has a different um, story. Everyone comes from a different perspective. And sometimes when our teachers um, may be used to a certain dynamic, they may not always understand the student that comes before them. And so there is a genuine concern, but it might not be about special education or a disability. It might just be how we're teaching or how we're approaching the situation. So all of that plays a, a, plays a factor. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that, right? Because like, I'm, of, I'm of, and Ball, I'll come to you next. I'm of the ilk that 
uh, every kid should should have an individualized education plan, right? So, because okay. I feel like every kid is special. So, even if you haven't been identified as being a special education student, uh, I think that it's important for every kid to to have that individualized plan. But I, I feel like a lot of schools don't go that individualized route because it's a lot of work, right? So, like, it's not easy at all. Uh, it's, it's definitely hard work. But if you care about these kids and parents, if you're advocating for your child, you need to know that their strengths and weaknesses. And if you know their strengths and weaknesses, then it, it, it allows you to, 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 to be a better parent, I, I would say, right? Because, like, you know when you're going into these, these IEP meetings – exactly what the ask is right and then also if you have good relationships with your with, with your school before you're going into these districts or whatever like you're having conversations you're having these pre-meetings these pre-iep meetings and you guys are collaborating together to go in and like hey we're going to ask for this because everything that you ask for is going to be in the best interest of that child and it's going to follow your child right and so i would like to spend some time after the ball comes through to talk about like the stigmas that are associated with special education, especially in black and brown community. So ball jump in. Sure. So Dr. Lowry, thank you again for being with us tonight. Um, one of the things that I'm curious about is, and it's not kind of on our lab, but I was thinking of, you know, students being, you know, misidentified. Is, is that something that's common and how, how early is too early if that's a thing to identify a student that needs special education services? Um, the earlier, the better. As soon as we can identify, and I'm talking three, four, or five-year-olds, the earlier we can identify that there is a need, um, usually three to five, actually three to nine um, in Kansas, you get, um, you can be, you can be classified as a special education student, but you get a category of developmentally delayed. Um, a lot is wrapped up in there. But the whole point is there is something that is delayed in that student's learning, um, and therefore we need to provide some special education services. The earlier we can intervene, the likelihood of by the time that child turns 10 will actually not need special education services. So the earlier interventions through special education is very, very valuable. It's really hard to then try to implement an IEP when the when the kid is 15 and they've gone through all the education, this educational journey and they haven't had special education services, it's a lot harder to, to really meet all the needs that that child has because they've gone so long. So the earlier, the better in that situation. So we, we had a, 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 somebody in the audience uh, make mention of a 504, right? And so I want to make sure that we, we pay attention to folks that are putting stuff in the chat so that we can get them, uh, give them the advice that we would give. And so, so this is Stacy from Texas. So I'm not, we're not necessarily familiar with things that happen in Texas, but we can give you some advice, uh, some roundabout advice for this. Um, and I disagree to a 504 for my son, special ed here in Texas. It's been a bumpy journey and we still don't understand as parents why this is all happening. And so uh, I think, you know, to jump in here first, uh, one of the things that you, you have to understand as a parent is that, you know, when, you, when your child is, uh, when your child is mentioned for special education services, that it's not your fault, right? It has nothing, it has, it has nothing to do with you as a, as a parent. So like, don't personalize it. And because I, I see a lot of parents that are like, well, what's wrong with me? There's nothing wrong with you. There's nothing wrong with your child. Your child just needs additional help in order to get them where they need to be. Right. And so the first the first thing, first and foremost, don't personalize this. Right. And so, you know, as, as uh, Dr. Larry said, the earlier you can identify a child needs ser needing services, the better it's going to be for that child, because it allows them to acclimate themselves to, to the needs in, in, in of, of K-12. And so I feel like, you know, we do a disservice uh, when we when we uh, identify kids in high school that need special education services it's like well where have you been like you have you not seen this child struggle for the last eight years like where have you been like where who who is in this child's life right and so um dr Lai, what, what what is your advice to the parents that are having these uh internal struggles with regards to um uh i, I uh their kids being identified it starts with you dr smith sorry well, no, I, 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 would, I would definitely want her to answer that question. But the piece that I want her to also add into her answer is, because I think this is kind of also what Stacey's getting at, and I put it um, basically is, who can parents go to to help them understand the process? Because sometimes 
um, just in my experience as an education in education, you know, the school district or parents don't have the best relationship with the school. So is there somebody outside the school system that can help parents through this process, be an advocate, things like that there? So I would like to kind of wrap that into what Ray's question was too, to Dr. Lowry. Yeah. That's well, kind of, that gets kind of expensive right there. <laughs> well, no, not, not necessarily because at every state level, they have and family advocacy agencies that are there to do just that connect with parents and allow them to and support them through the work of the special education process. Um, for instance, in Kansas, we have families together. It is something that's that's on our paperwork when we give families so that they know they can call families together. That is a state agency that is willing to help. They can come to IEP meetings with you. They can support you through that process, especially if you um, as a parent, maybe don't have that relationship, but I encourage all parents, you can always do a reset. You can always do a reset. So I encourage people to have a conversation with those building principals, get in touch with the teachers, start rebuilding the relationship. Every day is a new day. At the end of the day, you send us your best child and we are there to serve you and your child. So you can always continue to build that relationship with the school, but there are outside agencies. You could um, Google like family advocacies, groups in your state, go to your state website and find out who their family advocacy groups are and they'll be there to support you. I personally collaborate with the state family advocacy programs. I invite them into the district and they provide power parent power empowerment parent empowerment trainings, because we do need that relationship. We want the trust of our parents because we want to do what's best for their students and for the parents and the families. So I encourage you to first start at the state level and find out what state advocacy groups are there for families. It doesn't cost typically, and you can get the support that you need um, from, from other people outside of the school district when, you, when you're not sure about that relationship there. So um, what what you what you didn't say is go go up to the school and curse people out. <laughs> no, no. You might start I, there. I, 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 you know, I, 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 I didn't say that, but you know what? I get it. Sometimes, sometimes there's a lot of situations going on. Parents are they're confused, and sometimes you don't get the best response, and it's not timely. So I get that. Um, but that is not that is not your first go to. I definitely say try to rebuild every day the relationship with the schools um, and with your teachers. That that is going to be your best advocate right there. But there also help outside of the of the school system. So for for, for parents out there that are listening to the show, violence shouldn't be the first answer. No, don't choose violence first. No, right? we so like, can't do that. If you, if you, <laughs> But if you do choose violence, remember you can always rebuild the relationship the next day. You can start rebuilding the next day. <laughs> Yo, no, 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 no. Actually, no, you can't. Oh, no, no you can't. Right? Like, if you, if you come and you and you curse me out like all dirty, like I, we're not build, rebuilding the relationship. It's gonna take. It's gonna take a lot of things. We need a restorative circle. Yeah, we need. There you go. There you go. Let's restore that. Circle up, everybody. Let's circle up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because yeah, you, know, you can't just come in and just do you know. So, but let's let's talk about this the, the stigma that's associated with with social uh, with uh, with special education in the black community, uh, Doctor Lai. What 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 are your initial thoughts when you when you're talking to parents? Um. Well, some of the the main the main thing I hear from parents is that first of all, they really internalize it. They think it's their fault. And so sometimes they don't get the services that they need because they they feel it's a reflection of them. Um, another stigma that I often hear about is that someone, um, you know, they're going to be away from their gen ed peers. So people are going to think that they're more special than what they really are. Um, people are going to there's going to be an increase in bullying. There's going to be um, a lack of social interactions because no one's going to want to. Um, communicate and get engaged with their child if they're labeled as a special education student. It's all of those type of six stigmas that you hear about. Um, but what I've what I've heard most recently is that a lot of parents have been internalizing it. They really have felt like it's my fault that my kid has autism, or it's my fault that you know they're not good in math because I was never good in math. And and I'm just here to tell parents. 
don't personalize. Like I heard the young, uh, the brother say earlier, it is, it's no one's fault. It's not your fault. Um, it is what it is. And what we need to do is find ways to collaborate, work together, design a plan that we can fill in the gaps for your child, can provide the accommodations that they need so then they can get what they deserve. And that sometimes calls for special education services. Um, so you, you have to just remind yourself that the special education services is there to support the student. And any stigmas that you feel that may come with that, I think you need to sit down with the special education IEP team and have that conversation. Um, and parents need support around that because most of the time it's not the kid that has the problem with it, it's the parent. Yeah. Well, also, though, I think some of the, I mean, let's keep it a buck because some of that stigma stigma comes from us as educators in the building, because yeah. I've had several conversations over the years with various teachers uh, when I was in the classroom, as well as an administrator, when they would say, hey, I, I got so many kids in my class with an IEP. How am I supposed to teach them all? When there is, you know, in that group, a small minority of those kids who have IEPs because of a learning disability. You know, if they have OHI or autism, like that, that doesn't say they can't learn. They doesn't say they can't perform at grade level. So I think we as educators sometimes have that stigma as well. When we hear IEP, we automatically think these kids are gonna struggle academically when that's yes. a lot of times not the case. There is no struggle academically. It's they need support in other areas, whether that be social, emotional, behavioral, things like that. So I think we as educators, school yes. leaders, we need to help change some of that stigma that's going out there to parents and to the community as well. You are absolutely Amen. correct with that because uh, many times I, I have experienced where teachers are saying, uh, most of my class is full of students with on an IEP. But just like you're saying, Vashon, all of those kids may not need services in math. It might not even be academic that they need. Just because a child has an IEP, we do have to change that stigma in some of our educators' mind that, oh, this is going to, you know, I'm going to have to differentiate everything. I'm going to have to modify everything. It's no way the students, we have to really change that because that is not the case in most cases. Yeah. And Ball, I, jump and I, in here. Yeah, I was going to say that us as adults, that stigma that we have for it, it carries down to our students that mm -hmm. needs those services as well. And so, you know, I've been in, you know, multiple situations where, you know, the parents don't want the teachers to give any kind of in intimation that that student yeah. is receiving any kind of su additional support or from the rest of their classmates because they don't want them to feel different. But I, I think when we break it down and we say, hey, everybody learns differently and we're going to do this to support this student, we're going to do this to support you, we're going to do this to support you versus making it a that is something is wrong with, with me or something is wrong with my student. So I think us as adults, if we get past that, that's going to help our, our students uh, get the help and support that they need. I, I agree with that 100%. If we can start every year, every class period, just explaining that everybody learns differently and do that learning inventory and be able to show that, then I think that's going to break down a lot of stigmas. That's how I had to start my class every year, every class, just to What, just learn, to what learning inventory are you talking about? Because, you know, that that's the bunk science right there. Well, you know, how the kids learn, whether they learn better, if they're visual learners, <laughs> auditory learners. I mean, that still is very real. I don't know, but I'm more of a visual person. I'm auditorial yeah, yeah. And, and I'm and I'm visual. Yeah, um, that's, the bunk, that's the bunk science right there. There's well, research that... There's research that has uh, been y'all the doctors on here like we me and me and me and ball we just we emerging we trying uh, I mean we all doing differently right and, and you should know as an emerging emerging doctor that you can get scholar research to say whatever you want we can oh, no, we no, can stop, find research stop. to say yeah, whatever we want yes scholar practitioner so. emerging trying to be an emerging doctor <laughs> we, we we know you are ABD right now Ray hey. <laughs> Listen, I'm just trying to get to the trying to get to the other side, bro. Let me tell you something, man, about about this doctoral process. Not to veer left, but hey, listen, this is something. This is different, bro. This is this is this is different. Like, there's a lot of a lot of gatekeeping. We need to do an episode on gatekeeping because some people have like really smooth experiences going into uh, their doctoral uh, program or whatever, but some people have like really ridiculous like. Uh, yeah, traumatic experiences. So, very, you know, part, very traumatic. part of the issue is you didn't have Dr. Wood at St. Louis University as your dissertation chair. That's part of the issue, oh, right there. So, right there. Shout out to Dr. Wood. Yeah, <laughs> hey, hey, hey. But you yeah. know, some 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 people skate. 
you are you are talking to the man wearing blue. You are talking to the man wearing blue. Real quick though. You know what they call people who skated through their doctoral program? What they call doctor. them? Doctor. <laughs> hey, hey, that's a fact. Hey, so so basically, so we kind of talked about the process and kind of getting people there, Dr. Lari. So can you really just talk about what an IEP, an individualized education plan is, and the fact that that is a legal document? Because I think that's also, that's missed, that some people, even educators or teachers don't understand how that's a legal document. So can you just talk a little bit about the IEP and what that represents? Yes. So the individual education plan, the IEP, um, is developed uh, for the student to, first of all, to identify the needs of the student through that evaluation process, and then to develop goals and objectives so that you're able to start closing in the gap or being able to um, increase their level of achievement, whatever the IEP goals are, are written for. Um, the present level of academic and functional uh, performance is about how the student is currently performing and how they're functioning um, with their disability and what supports are needed through accommodations and modification. It is a legal document. There are people that are required to be a part of that process, parent being one, your gen ed, general education teacher, your special education teacher, um, typically, the LEA representative, which is a local that represents the local educational, um, the education agency, the school district, is there um, as a member, a choir member of the team. And of course, if a student needs uh, related services, those providers are also required to be a part of that team. And they work together to hear the parent concerns, to document the parent concerns, but then to go over how the disability impacts the student in the educational environment. And um, they go over the data. It talks about how the child should be assessed, whether it's state assessments or district assessments. Um, it is an all-encompassing document that really tells the story of the student's learning and the progress that they've made. Um, goals, and goals and objectives are written um, for the student to make progress. The IEP must be ca reasonably calculated for the student to make progress. That is the whole point of special education and IDEA is to be able for the student to get access to general education curriculum and to make progress or to benefit um, from receiving that, from the, receiving the curriculum. And so it's very important that it's followed, not only by the, the teachers who are responsible for teaching the students, um, and it doesn't matter if it's in core areas or not, accommodations, if it's on the page that the kid needs to get extended time, they are required to get the extended time. Anytime we're not following that IEP, you're out of compliance. Hmm. Hey, so, so that extended time, right? So speaking about extended time, and uh, and as an added benefit to, to, to those folks that uh, may have uh, uh, virtual against uh, a, a special education IEP, that, that travels with you to college, right? And so, like, you, if you got extended time in college, that could be the difference between a B minus on a test and an A plus on a test, you know, given, given certain circumstances. Well, I, I do want to add something there because there's the IEP doesn't actually follow you to college, um, it's the 504. Oh, okay. It goes over so, so, and beyond. So, question, right? So, like, the 504 going over and beyond, right? So, is that different in, in, in some states? Because I've, I've heard of... They're, okay, both, go they're both federal. Yeah. They're both okay. federal law. Okay. The 504 okay. is the, uh, the governing agency is the Office of Civil Rights. So, okay. it's about your civil rights if you have a disability. Um, mm -hmm. IDEA, or Special Education Services, um, agency is the Department of Education. So mm -hmm. IDEA and special education serve students from birth to up to age 21, 22 in certain states. And once you graduate or once you age out, it's over. It's done. It, it's, it's, no longer, it's no longer in play for you. However, with the 504, it goes beyond high school. It goes into college. It goes into your workplace. Because what the 504 mm -hmm. does it provides, it says that you have to have a disability 
And what the 504 does is make sure that you have access to education, regardless of your disability, the same as any other person without a disability. So if you have to get accommodations, you can get accommodations. If you have to get modifications, you can get modifications. And in some cases, you might can get related services, depends on your disability. If it impacts your speech, you can get speech therapy with the 504 plan. So that's that's one of the the bigger differences between the two um, that the 504 does carry on way beyond high school. But going back to your extended time, how that sometimes is very beneficial for our students is that if you have been getting extended time all along in your IEP, when it comes to take some of those standardized assessments like the mm. ACP, the, the SAP or whatever yep. other standardized test, that can carry on and you can get extended time for those assessments. If it has been documented through your IEP while you're in school that you've always needed that. Yeah, I love that. I love that energy. Uh, so, so you know, I, I think that that kind of debunks some of the stigma that's associated with it if you're, if you're able to talk about the benefits of it, right? Yeah. Uh, Bob, jump in here, man. I know you got a question. You look like you got a question. <laughs> so, you know, I, I, one of the things that we've been talking about is, you know, stigma around a little bit around um, the IEP process. You know, if, if there are folks that are uh, out here that are listening, um, you know, they might be feeling like their their child is being pushed out of general education. Is is that true that when a student receives special education services, they are being pushed out of general education? No, no, that is not necessarily true. Now, are there kids that will be removed from general education to get services? Yes, that does happen. But it's something else about the law that requires us to provide special education services in the least restrictive environment, which means that we always are looking to provide services and support to students within the general education environment. That is what we're obligated to always look to do. So it's not about pushing students outside of the general education environment. But there are some students who have significant disabilities where, where a free and an appropriate education is not within the general education and classroom where there's maybe 25 students and a lot of stimuli, it, that might not be what FAPE is or what a free and appropriate education. At that point, the IEP team looks at that information and makes a determination, well, do we need to consider more a restrictive environment so that we are really able to meet the needs of the student? So no, it is not a push because there is an obligation that we always provide services in the least restrictive environment. Yeah. So bringing this back to you, school leaders. Right. So a lot of times what I'll see is I'll see school leaders when you're designing your schedule in order for students with IEPs to receive their services. These kids are getting pulled out of gym class. They're, being, they're getting pulled out of their favorite classes. Right. What are you guys doing? In or so what? So, Bob, uh, Smitty, you, 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 you're saying that like it doesn't happen that way. It does. Right. Uh, so what are you? So, Smitty, what are you doing in your building to prevent that from happening? Uh, so. And I guess I've never been in a system where that's taking place, where they we were pulling kids out of elective or encore classes to get services. Um, so we are a class within the class school. So we, once again, have most of our kids are getting services in the general ed class with the SPED teacher as support doing co-teaching model, whether that's parallel teaching, smart instructor, something to that effect. Um, you know, I, I we even to the point where when, I mean, when I first got to the school I'm at, you know, we're, we're set up in a pod system. The school's built in a pod system, so there's nine pods around the building. Well, the 600 pod was where all the resource classes were at. So if a student saw another student going to the 600 pod, they automatically knew, well, that kid's spared. So I know in my second year, we basically dismantled that and moved all the resource classes into that grade level pod. So the seventh grade kids are getting, you just going to another seventh grade pod classroom. Um, so we do have some kids in their IEP who said they need to get resource minutes and things like that. Um, but we also have those teachers teaching CWC. So once again, our kids are either getting class in a CWC class or a resource class as an assigned class. And, and they're getting all their other, you know, electives and things like that, just like every other kid in the building is getting. Yeah. Ball, yeah. have you ever seen it happen? Oh, yeah. I, I've seen it happen because that's the, the path of least resistance because you've got those core teachers, the English, the uh, math teachers that, they can't lose that time because what I've seen in, in resource classes pretty often is, unfortunately, it's homework completion because the student is, is, is missing homework assignments or missing classwork assignments. 
versus working on those individual goals that those students need. And so I think that's an area that I've seen in, in my experiences where, um, you know, you, you have those conversations and you have to restructure and say, you know, what is the purpose of this resource class? Is it just, is it supposed to be homework completion? Is that what we're really worried about? Are we, cause the focus is on the grades and making sure that I don't have any zeros. That's what I've seen at the middle school and the high school in, in some cases. And, and, it is, and it's a challenge to get past that mindset. Like I'm, I'm worried about this child's development. I'm not worried about like, the zeros necessarily. So I don't know if anyone else has seen that in, in your experiences, but I, I think that's a that's a battle that we're fighting in in, in my district, and I'll, and I'll speak to that. But hey, I think that goes know, back you, you onto know middle, you know the middle school principal of the year. He ain't see that. He ain't see nothing. Of course, of course, he yeah, because yeah, he's the middle. Uh, but I was saying, but I mean, to me though, that goes back. That's on the school leader though. That's on the school leader to make sure that the instruction in those resources classes look the same as it does in the general ed classroom. Now, there's going to be different scaffolds and supports put in place, but my, at the end of the day, that kid is going to be assessed on the state assessment at the grade level. It's not going to be at a lower level. It's not going to be on homework completion. So for me, that falls back on the school leader to make that happen. That's not on the teacher. You know, the teacher needs to be held accountable. So if that's happening in your building as a school leader, that's on you for make, letting that go, let that happen. Um, and it also falls on the director of special education because, um, that is not the intent of what those resource classes are, are created for. It is just what um, I heard the gentleman say. It's about working on the individual goals and objectives for that child. So like myself as a leader, I, I recognize that. And so I have to put in place the expectations that there's going to be a lesson plan that has to be written out for those academic support or resource classes. And there are going to be folders that they're going to have goals and objectives and you have to progress monitor that. And then working collaboratively with that building leader to say, this is what you should see when you walk into a resource room or academic support or study skills, whatever the district calls that class. And so I think it works, um, it's a collaborative effort, not only on the building leader, but also on the district leader of special education. Yeah, mm. so so when, when a parent comes in, right? Because you know, our parents, they say a lot of things and they have a lot of thoughts, right? Mm -hmm. And so when, when that parent comes in and they're like, you know, when you're talking, having that special education conversation, first of all, parents, you can't run from this conversation, right? So, like, you know, if you if you if you're thinking that, hey, you know, one school diagnosed my kid or, or is trying to diagnose my kid with an IEP or for IEP services, and then you're gonna move to the next school and think that that's not going to happen, that's that's a rare a rare case or a rare instance, right? It's usually gonna take them about six months to figure out the same thing, and so now your kid has lost potentially a, a year. Uh, of, of getting those services, right? So you can't run away from this. You can't hide from this. But for those parents that are are, are saying, "What's wrong with my child?" Right? Why are you why are you trying to why are you saying, why why are you trying to tell me something's wrong with my child? What's what's your advice to them, Dr. Lowry? Um, my advice to the parents is not to not to look at it. Look at the school as trying to identify that something's wrong with your child but more so that they have identified a need that your child has and they have an opportunity to support that need so that the child can get everything else that they deserve and have that same access as everyone else has. And so my, my, my advice is to, for the parent to allow the process to happen. Um, at the end of the day, we know that special education services cannot be implemented unless you provide parent consent, especially if it's an initial evaluation. So allow it to happen. Look at the data, ask questions so that, so that they can show you and justify why they're saying that your child is a suspect, there's a suspicion of a disability for your child. Um, don't be quick to say no, because just as um, the gentleman said, when you try to run from that and the evidence is there and you may know it in your heart, but you might not want to realize it or acknowledge it because of the stigmas that we kind of talked about earlier, think about how this is impacting your child. That's months that your child is not getting the services that they need in order for them to have an opportunity to fill in the gaps, have an opportunity to get on the same level as their peers. So I would say allow the process to happen. 
Don't personalize it and listen to the data. Have them show and prove what it is that they're saying is 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 an area of need for your child. Yo, I, I, I love it. Hold up, hold, hold up, Paul. Let me let me let me get the screen right here because she keeps calling me the gentleman, and I love when people call me the gentleman because it just tells you how the wholesome cues show up in the building, right? And so I just wanted to acknowledge that. I just wanted to take up the space right now for the wholesome cues. All right, that's it. Ball, go ahead. No, I was. I think Doc I mean, had something. Yeah. Yeah. So back on topic. Uh, so, oh my God. So I know we like uh, you know running close on time, but I, I do want to talk because we talked a lot about the IEP process, Fed getting um, the thing that I think is not discussed enough, and is is parents think that once my kid is identified in special education, it's a life sentence, and we don't talk about the exiting process enough, and like we want to get kids mm-hmm. where they need to be. So can you just talk a little bit about like how do we how do we as a system and then how do we also help parents understand at some point we do want to exit kids from special education and get them what they need. Now, not all kids will be based on the discipline they have, but there are some kids who we can exit from special education if we put in the work the correct way. Well, let me tell you, we don't exit enough kids out of special education. Um, But one area, specific learning disability, LD, um, that is an area where we should be exiting kids. And when we don't exit students, we have to be reflective in the educational system on ourselves, our teaching and our learning. Because in many cases, if a kid qualifies in the category of a specific learning disability, it's typically for math deficiency, a reading deficiency, written expression deficiency. And if we are constantly working on those skills where we get the student up to um, a grade level or very close to grade level where there's not a significant discrepancy on how they're performing compared to their peers, the child really should get be exited from special education. But every state has different laws when it comes to exiting students from special education. For instance, in Kansas, you really, you can reevaluate a child to say you're no longer found eligible. You've been able to um, fill in the gaps. You no longer have those substantial um, discrepancies or deficiencies. Um, you no longer qualify. But in the state of Kansas, you got to have a parent consent to say, oh, I agree that my kid doesn't no longer qualify or they stay in there. Um, and so it's very different state to state on the exit process. But m- myself as, a, as an educator, the goal is to exit the student, get in, get the services that they need, fill in the gap and get the student exited from services. That's what it should be about, especially if you have a specific learning disability. That's exactly what we should be expecting. Man, I love, I, man, I love this podcast, man. We're giving y'all free PD every other uh, Wednesday night, uh, and so let's go into our closing thoughts, Doctor Lowry. We'll uh, start with you with our closing thoughts. Um, my closing thoughts of today is special education, when implemented correctly, and every single person that is a part of that team is there for the sake and the goodness of that child. Special education works and it works well. If you are a parent and you are unsure of the process or you feel like the trust is not there between you and the building or you and the district, I encourage you to reach out to any family advocacies within your state and get someone there to support you so that you can be empowered and understand what it is that you are responsible for as a parent and what you can hold school systems responsible for when it comes to educating your child and meeting the individual needs of students. Hey, Smitty, so let me ask you a question. Is Grandview Middle School in the building tonight? Because I know mm-hmm. the Riverhead Charter School is in the building tonight. And I, you know, I, I, so I'm, 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 I'm asking for a friend. Uh, they are because they texted me. So just because they put it in the comments, you know, we rap. Don't even play. You know, we represent. So, so it's on you because 1914 comes after 1911. Oh my! So that means you should go first, old man. Uh, so, uh, my my uh, closing thought is I'm gonna take a little detour. Um, and my closing thought pretty much can be summed up as um, it's a sad it's sad when the good die young. 
Um, I really want to hopefully take time that ask our audience if they can please uplift um, my principal in the district, Dr. Jennifer Harris and her school as they tragically lost a teacher on Saturday in a uh, hit and run accident um, and just been going through it this this uh, week. Um, so I actually say just you know keep them in their prayers. Um, I want to give a shout out to my uh, teacher, Miss Allen, who went over to their school to cover his classes. Um, to kind of help during this process and this time um, they had the memorial service today so if y'all could just keep them lifted up in prayers and in your thoughts i would truly appreciate it bro that that is hella dope bro and selfless man and so i appreciate you sharing that and i appreciate you using that as your final thought man that's dope bro hey it's a reason why you're the kansas city uh middle school principal of the year you know <laughs> uh ball um as always, I'm thankful for this show. I'm thankful for everyone joining us. Dr. Lowry, thank you for being here with us tonight. Uh, I just want to say that one of the things that I've learned in education is that there are no secrets. And part of this podcast is to you know, share uh, our experiences and uh, with other educators, with parents, uh, just so that we're all informed um, because we all want to see our students and our staffs be successful. So, um, you know, Secrets out here. Um, We're here to give that free PD, and we thank you all for joining us. Yeah. And so, uh, my final thought is uh, man, we had so tonight we did our annual barbecue, our annual uh, back to school barbecue. And if it wasn't like over 500 people uh, there, right? And so, uh, we made some slight adjustments. Uh, we almost uh, miscalculated the food. Right. And you can't miscalculate food when you're doing a, a barbecue for the folks. Right. So we, we initially we were like 500 hamburgers, 500 hot dogs. But as soon as I saw the list, I was like, man, this is the first time since COVID that folks are going to be together. So we got to up that to a thousand. So hopefully we were able to feed everybody today. Uh, we got on the grills extra early uh, in order to get there for, for our families. And it was a wonderful uh, seeing everybody. There was so many people there. I couldn't even do an annual speech because it was just too many people to try to get together, right? So, like, it was beautiful and uh, and definitely um, uh, amazed by our uh, our families. I want to thank Dr. Lowry for pulling up uh, and, and, and blessing us on the cast. Uh, free PD. Dr. Lowry, you're always welcome to come back here. I know this was your first uh, your first time. You was a little bit nervous, but you did. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you killed it. You, you killed it like a true slew grass would. I knew you would do that. <laughs> out of the park. She, she knocked it out of the park. And so, hey, so, hey, we got to shout out Principal Cafele, though. Uh, definitely. Yeah, and yeah, Principal yeah, Cafele, if you listening, Principal Cafele, shout out to you for letting me get on the uh, virtual AP Leadership Academy this past Saturday. Um, I think a lot of times we grind and grind and grind. And we don't ever really sit back and look at the work, of body of work that we created. And doing that show this weekend really helped me kind of see the work I've done and reflect. And shout out to everybody that hit me up afterwards, encouraging me. But Principal Confetti, I just got one request. If you can get my boy, Demetrius Ball, he is the principal of a soon-to-be Blue Ribbon School. If you can get him on the show, I think, you know, it'll be well worth your time. Former, former principal of a of a soon-to-be Bloom Ribbon School. Why you you are well, hey, mess hey, up Bob, the promo? It's all good. It's all, it's all good. It's all good. <laughs> hey, Bob, did y'all win this weekend? Because I saw you on Friday Night Lights. Yeah, yeah. Uh, our uh, our football team won thirty-one. Uh, it was it was a good it was a good game. Good way to start the hey, season. Hey, championship! Here we come. Hey, championship! <laughs> here we come. <laughs> hey, hey, ball. I'm telling you this. Yep. I'm putting it out in the, in the atmosphere right now. A state championship is better than winning a first of all. A state championship as a coach or a principal is a, a better, almost better than being being a player, right? That's first of all. Second of all, a, a state championship is—I think a state championship is better than a blue ribbon school, man, because you go always be able to hold that trophy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> all right, folks, you, <laughs> y'all been listening to the to the Engage Podcast Free PD Real Ed Movement. Peace.